Isaiah chapter 2. It says, The word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it and many peoples will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. Come house of Jacob and let us walk in the light of the Lord. God has sent a message through his prophet Isaiah. He has called for everybody and everything to listen. This is important. It's important to God. He is going to take the nation of Israel out. He has made eternal covenants with them. He created them for His praise and His glory. He had a purpose for them. But the covenants have not been fulfilled. Israel is not glorifying Him. The nations are asking questions about God they shouldn't have to ask. They are not drawn to this God. Israel is not doing what they were commissioned to do. Has God failed? We have some hard questions to ask about God. One of the things I like about God, He's not afraid of hard questions. In the first visions, we saw that God had predicted this from the start. They are abandoning Him. It is not God who is abandoning them. He has done everything that can be done to bring them back. They reject all attempts. He has warned them, and they are ignoring His warnings. He repeats the covenant to them in chapter 1 and tells them they can eat the best of the land if they obey or they can be eaten. It's their choice. And so we look at the southern kingdom of Judah and the capital city of Jerusalem, and they will watch as the northern tribe is taken away and removed from the promised land, scattered throughout the world. But they don't learn from it. They repeat the northern tribe's sins, and they're headed for the same destiny. But, listen, God is not done. Look what he says, and this sets up chapter, the second vision. This is how he ends the first vision. He says, I will restore your judges at the first and your counselors is at the beginning. After that, you will be called the city of righteousness, a faithful city. Verse 27 says, Zion will be redeemed with justice. There is a future Zion coming. And that's what we look at in chapter 2. This is where Isaiah chapter 2 takes off, looking at the second vision. God shows him that another day is to come where Jerusalem is going to be what it was designed to be. It will be awesome. It will happen when Jesus returns, he judges, his enemies are taken out, and he starts the 1,000 year of the Messiah. Now, somebody has seen this city. Look at how they describe it. Listen to what they say when they look at it. Psalm 48, the first eight verses. Listen, when they look at this city, look at what they think. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation. Lock on to that, because that's exactly where we're headed tonight. Beautiful in elevation, 
The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. God in her palaces has made himself known as a stronghold. For lo, the kings assembled themselves. They passed by together. They saw it. And what happens when they saw it? They were amazed. They were terrified. They fled in alarm. Panic seized them. Anguish as of a woman in childbirth. With the east wind, you break the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen the city of the Lord of hosts. In the city of our God, listen to this. God will establish her forever. Selah. Now look at verse 2. It says, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, it says, The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It takes off right off where Psalm 48 ended. He's going to establish that mountain. Psalm 68 talks about this mountain. It says, Why do you look with envy, O mountains, which God has desired for his abode? Surely the Lord will dwell there forever. Now, where do the gods live? In the religions, the false religions of this world? Where do you find the gods? You find them in the mountains. Olympus, Meru, Zapon. Who lives in the Mount Olympus? Zeus and 11 other false gods. Where do you want to go find them? You find them in Mount Olympus. How about Maru? In Hindu mythology, it was a golden mountain that stands in the center of the universe, and its foothills are the Himalayans. They believe that gods lived there. The Canaanite god Baal, where did he live? He lived in Mount Zapon. And where did Moses and Israel find God coming out of Egypt? Exodus 19 says they found him at Mount Sinai. What does the word Sinai mean? It means thorn or thorn bush. And what happened when they found him there? Listen to the three verses in Exodus 19. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. Now listen to this, because something similar is going to happen later. This is what happens when God shows up. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, God spoke, and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now when he went up, what happened? He received the Mosaic Covenant, the law. Israel remembers Mount Sinai because that's where they got the, first, the, Mount, the Mosaic Covenant, which is what they were supposed to live by. But there is now going to come another mountain that will be more important, relatively unknown compared to Mount Sinai, but it will be more important than Mount Sinai in Israel. The mountain Sinai, the mountain of the law, will fade in significance because there is another covenant coming. The new covenant is superior to the Mosaic covenant. The first thing that it says about this mountain in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, it says, In the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord, this mountain that we're talking about, will be established. In this case, it means that this will become permanent. Nobody or nothing is ever going to bring this city down. It will be established as the most important place on all of earth. 
Why? Because it is the city of the great king. But it says a second thing. It says a second thing about this mountain. After it is be established, it says it will be established as the chief of the mountains. And look at the next thing it says. It will be raised above the mountains. It will be raised above the hills in the New American Standard. Now, what is he talking about there? Let me give you a couple of verses as you turn to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14 explains what he's talking about here. Where did Jesus leave from? Acts chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, where was he? The angels is talking to the disciples as they watch him leave, and what does it say? This is what he tells them. He says, this Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come, listen to this, in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. Then it says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. Where did Jesus launch into heaven from? Mount Olivet. There is another section of scripture that describes the event in which this will happen. He will come back the same way, the same place that he left. He is coming back to Mount Olivet. Now, look at Zechariah chapter 14, and Zechariah chapter 14 explains what happens when he returns, and boom! That's, if you want a synopsis of what we're looking at tonight, get ready for it because it is, you think he was trembling and all that at Mount Sinai. Wait till you see what happens when he comes back. Look at Zechariah chapter 14. What did Isaiah chapter 2, what did it say? It will be what? Above the other hills? It will be raised. Is that a figure of speech? Let's see. Zechariah chapter 14, let me set this up. When you come to Zechariah chapter 14, this chapter describes the end of human history. Man has had his turn running things, like I said before, and it has become very clear that man can't do it. Now it's God's turn. It's time for Jesus Christ to come back and make things right. So Zechariah, when you come into chapter 14, is talking about the last days of Jewish history. They have made a pact with a foolish shepherd, The Antichrist, it is the 70th week of Daniel, and halfway through the 70th week of Daniel, that seven-year period, the unholy trinity breaks its treaty with Israel and demands to be worshipped. They want to be worshipped only. When that happens, Israel refuses, and they react, and Antichrist reacts by summoning armies from all over the world and they all attack Israel. And that's what's going on when we come to Zechariah chapter 14. Satan wants to end the Israeli program, and if he can do that, what will it do to God? All those questions we're asking about right now, wow, we'd have a different answer than what we're looking at right now. He could say God failed, and all the things God promised are negated. Satan will win. Is that what's going to happen? When you come here, look at verse 14. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. Verse 2, for I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. Stop right there. Who is bringing the nations against Jerusalem? Is it Satan? 
No, it's God. Remember what we said about Solomon and the next Davidic king on the next Jerusalem? What did he do when he established his kingdom? What did Solomon do? He did what to all his enemies? Killed them, took them out. Guess what God is doing right here? He's getting ready to establish his kingdom. Second thing is in chapter 1, what did it say that Jesus Christ was going to do when he judged the nation of Israel? He says, I'm going to refine them and I'm going to purge them. So that's what's going on here, okay? This is God's work, not Satan's work. He is the one that's bringing in the nations to attack Jerusalem. This is what happens. The houses, let me see, for I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women rap, the women ravished, and half, listen to this, half the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Who is that half of the city that are surviving? Over and over again, we're going to see in Isaiah, we've already seen it in chapter one, the remnant. The remnant is, and we're going to see it again in chapter 6, there is a remnant. He will never wipe out Israel completely. There's always going to be a believing peace left, okay? He saves half of them that, are not, that will escape, okay? Now, the kingdom will start with these believers. Verse 3, then the Lord will go forth and fight against these nations. It's God's turn to fight. It says, as when he fights on a day of battle. During this time, Jesus is going to take back earth from Satan. He has been the influence of the unregenerate, and they have had their turn ruling the world. Now it's his turn. He is coming to fight. What I like about this, it says, look back up to verse 3. I love verse 3 when it says, and the Lord will go forth and fight. It's kind of like Jesus Christ right now is in the starting blocks. And somebody's going to go, shoot the gun, boom, and he's going to take off. And Revelation chapter 19 describes it. It's going to be like nothing you've ever seen. Sky goes black, boom, we're going to talk about there in a minute. Okay? And Jesus Christ comes forth. And this is a, here he comes. It's starting. Look at verse 4. This is what happens when he comes and fights. On that day... His feet will stand where? On the Mount of Olives, right? So we know what we're talking about. He's come back just, just like they said he would in Acts. Now, look what happens when his feet touches the earth. What did, what did Isaiah chapter 2 say, verse 2? It says that this mountain will be what? It's going to be raised above all the other hills. Listen. Listen what happens when his feet touches the Mount of Olives. On the day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will be moved towards the north and the other half will be moved towards the south. Stop right there. This is where Isaiah chapter 2 happens, right here. Now, if you were to go to Mount Olivet, or Mount of Olives now, it is a small hill just east of Jerusalem. If you were to walk in the valley, the one that exists now, 
and you were to walk over it to the town of Bethany on the other side, headed east, you would walk about two miles. It's not a big mountain, okay? Very small. In fact, a lot of you might just call it a hill. This is where he lands. The word here, El Gabor, the mighty man, comes and stands on this hill. If we return to Ezekiel chapter 10 and 11, Ezekiel sees the cherubim and something leave. What was it? What did he see leave? He saw the Shekinah glory. And what does the Shekinah glory represent? The Shekinah glory was in where? It was in the temple. And it was, it was the presence. It was the physical manifestation of what? It was the presence of God. It was the Shekinah glory that accompanied them and guarded them and kept them and protected them when they came out of Egypt, okay? And it took up its presence in the Holy of Holies. Now, Israel is taken out, and this is one of the saddest days and saddest parts of Israel's history because what happened? They sinned. The Shekinah glory leaves, and he describes it in two chapters, piece a piece and a piece and a piece, but when he describes where it leaves, listen to what he says. Ezekiel eleven twenty three. it says, The glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain, which is east of the city. So the Shekinah glory leaves, and where does it go? Does that sound familiar? What is the mountain that is east of the city? It's Mount Olivet, okay? It's, this is a repeat of history. So what happens on the landing? The Mount of Olives will be split from east to west, and in it will be a very large valley, so that half of the mountain goes north, half goes south, and in between there's a valley that didn't exist before, and that valley runs east-west, okay? Now, it looks like something happens when he touches earth. Listen to these verses. I'm going to read you three different verses that all describe this same event. And listen to what it describes. It looks like an earthquake takes place when Jesus makes contact. He lands on the mountain. It splits. And listen to Micah 1, verses 3 and 4. I'm reading pieces of it. For behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place. He will come and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will be split like wax before the fire, like water poured down on a steep place. Sounds like a volcano. Boom. Everything starts melting when he lands. Nahum, chapter 1, verse 5. Mountains quake because of him and the hills dissolve. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by his presence, the world and all the inhabitants in it. Revelation 16, listen to this. Same event. And there was, in verses 18 through 19, I'm reading part of it, it says, and there was a great earthquake, such as there has not been since man came to be upon the earth, so great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. So what happens when Jesus Christ touches Mount Oliver, Olives? What happens? The world just... Starts to dissolve, starts to melt. There's an earthquake like this world has never seen before, and the mountain is split in two. The earth goes through a terrific shaking when he lands. Now, you talk about an entrance, okay? Now, 
This is a huge contrast from when they came the first time. The world will react when this happens. They want the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and try to escape because this Jesus is someone to be afraid of because they know what happens when he shows up. They've been living in the darkness, and what is darkness? It's, try, it's a place to hide. And that's what they're trying to do when they run to the caves and the dirt and the ground, which we're going to look at later. But you cannot run from God. You now have a valley that didn't exist before, okay? Now, can I take a guess here? You can, tr I think it's a good guess if you plug in Joel chapter 3 here, first three verses. It says in Joel chapter 3 that there is a valley of Jehoshaphat, and Joel, I'm sorry, Joel calls it the valley of what? Decision. So God will gather the nations into it and judge them after the remnant in Jerusalem have escaped through it. This could be where Matthew chapter 25 takes place, the sheep goat judgment. We looked at that weeks ago. What happens at the sheep goat judgment? All the nations are brought before Jesus Christ, and they're asked a question. What's the question? Did you give them water to drink? Did you visit them while they were in prison? And if they don't have the right answer, what happens? Goats go this way, sheep go this way, and what happens to the goats? If they don't have the right answer, it says they're thrown where? Eternal punishment, okay? Now, somebody asked a question last week. Uh, I wish he was here. It's not fair to, to do this when he's not here, but I'll, I'll, I don't think I'm hurting his feelings. Uh, there are those who believe that loss will go into the kingdom. It is that judgment right there, one of the big reasons I believe that there will nobody loss will go into the kingdom, because what is that? That's the last judgment before we go into the kingdom, and what does he do to the lost? He sends the loss into eternal punishment. I think only saved will go into the kingdom, okay? And it's very possible that this valley that's created here is where this will take place, okay? Now, this valley is called Azel, A-Z-E-L. Sometimes it's spelled A-Z-A-L. The valley will be close to Jerusalem, and it will run to Azel. The word Azel means close, okay? That's what happens if you want another verse to plug in here, Amos chapter 1, 1 could plug into this. Look at verse 5 now. Something else happens. Verse 5, it says, You will flee by the valley of my mountains, by the valley of the mountains, which will reach to Azel. That remnant that we were talking about, this is how they're going to escape. You will flee just as they fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. That's what Amos 1, 1 is talking about. Then the Lord my God will come and all, listen to this, and all the holy ones with him. This is why I think it's so important you pick your name of your horse out. Okay? Guys, if you don't want to be there, it's okay with me. I'm going to be there. All those holy ones are going to be there. When he hits that mountain, he's not coming alone. We're going to be there. All the holy ones. You realize that's you, right? You are a saint. You know what saint means? It comes from, saints means is the same word that comes, is the word for holy. Same word. You are a holy one. You're set apart. You're different from the rest of the world. You are a holy one, and you're going to be with Jesus when he comes. Okay, now, <clears throat> First Thessalonians says he's coming with all his saints. 
Now, there's something that happens here that moves me. When he comes back and all this fighting is taking place and he hits the earth, it's not described here, but guess where it's described? Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53 happens at this moment. Listen, they're going to sing a song. That remnant that we're talking about, that run to flee, it looks like they're about to be wiped out, but in their deepest and most needed moment, he shows up. Jesus, the Lord. And not only by the direct act of God shall the enemy be destroyed, but with the shout of a king in their midst, and conscious that the almighty power is now on their side, the remnant of Judah too will do valiantly and will tread down their enemies under their feet. Zechariah chapter 4 talks about this. Chapter 7, verse 4. It says, He that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. They fight like nothing. But suddenly, listen, the noise of war and the shout of triumph is turned into wailing and lamentation as the spirit of grace and supplication takes possession of the heart of the remnant of Israel, and the eyes of the blind are open, and they behold their king of glory. As who present, whose presence the earth trembles and the mountains are cleft, and who has so marvelously delivered them in their need, none other than the one whom they have pierced, and whom for so many centuries they have rejected and despised, they look with recognition on the one that they had cursed before, and it will break their heart. Isaiah chapter 53 says, They shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his born, first, firstborn. This repentance that Israel, that this remnant goes through, it will start in Jerusalem, but it will spread throughout the land. And then it will spread out to all the dispersed of all the world. And Israel then, at this moment, repents and turns to the one that they had rejected for centuries. This is when they are saved. This is when Isaiah 53 takes place. The rest of the world runs for cover. They turn to him. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. It says, I'm sorry, verse 6, And in that day there will be no light, for the luminaries will dwindle. Isaiah 13, verse 9, I read it to you a couple weeks ago, describes the same scene. <clears throat> Isaiah 24, Joel 3, Matthew 24, and Revelation 16, they all say the same thing. Just before Jesus Christ comes back, all the lights go back out, Okay? Now, verse 7, it says that it will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but it will come about that at evening there will be light. Now, Isaiah chapter 30, I want to read this to you. What is he talking about? At evening time, there will be light. Now, he just got through saying that it's going to be a unique day. Last week, there was another question, and the question comes because the King James Version translates this in a totally different way. 
And if you want to know where the question comes from last week, it's because of the translation is so different than what I'm reading right here. The word means different or unique when you look up in the Hebrew, okay? New American Standard has this one right. Look at what he's talking about. I'm going to read verse 26, uh, 6, 26 of, of Isaiah chapter 30, because Isaiah chapter 30 talks about the same thing that he's talking about with Zechariah. Listen to this. The light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be, listen to this, seven times brighter, like the light of seven days. On the day the Lord binds up the fracture of his people and heals the bruise he has inflicted. The light will be what? Seven times brighter. Messiah comes back, turns out the lights, and when he turns it back on, it is, wow. It is a different world. Okay, we're beginning to see something here. Are you getting the idea? When Jesus comes back, it's going to be a different kind of world. We're already starting to see it. This is just the start. God Jesus Christ is going to change a lot of things, okay? Here's another one, verse 8, and this is one of my favorites. It says, in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea. Here's another change. At the center of Jerusalem is Mount Moriah, which is where the temple will be. The rock that is there will split open. And when it is open, it's going to start the supply of two different rivers, okay? One goes east to the Dead Sea. The other one goes to the Mediterranean Sea. The word living waters there means gurgling, rushing, or bubbling. It's going to have a very strong current. Now, this river is, des is described where? Ezekiel chapter 47. Read the first 12 verses. And a lot of times I read this just for fun. I love it. This is, I just, and there's a reason I love it. It says in Ezekiel that this river, describing it, it starts as a small stream, but it's backwards from the way it works today. When you start a stream, the further it goes, what? The thinner and the shallower it gets. It, just, it gets less and less water. It works the opposite here. It gets bigger. It gets deeper, and finally it gets to the point where you can't tread through it anymore. It says there will be very many fish. Everything will live where this water goes. It, it, Isaiah talks about this. It says the deserts will become fantastic gardens. Why? Because this river supplies them. Uh, time out here for a second. Where have you seen this before? The Garden of Eden. Exactly. What was in Eden? One river did what? Turned into four different rivers. All right? Sound familiar? The picture sets the tone for what Jerusalem will be in that age. It will be the center and source of blessing for the world. It sounds just like we said, the Garden of Eden. Okay. Psalms 46.4 says there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. It's this river. Joe Diffie. Anybody here listen to country music back in the 80s? He has a couple songs I really like. When Ships Don't Come In, I listen to that song over and over again. He sings another one called Home. One of the lines in that, it says, the straight and narrow path, talking about his dad, he showed me turned into a thousand winding roads. My footsteps carry me away, but in my mind, I'm always going home. What I like about that verse is it describes me. In my imagination, 
a lot of times, I, I think of home. Now, I'm not from Kansas. I was born in the city of Camden, Maine, just two blocks off of Highway 1 as it goes through. That place where I was born is two blocks from the bay, Camden Bay, which goes into Penobscot Bay, which into the Atlantic Ocean. Now, one of my place, I was born there. I was born literally one block from a park that, now, that park overlooks McGunny Cook River as it goes into Camden Harbor. And then you have all the, uh, the ships that harbor there over the winter, the schooners. It's considered by some to be one of the prettiest spots on Earth. That's where I come from. Mount Batty is in the back. I have memories there. My grandfather used to take me fishing. We'd always go to McGunny Cook River to get our, our bait before we went fishing. And I just love, there's something about a river. I just love watching it. I, I, don't, I don't have a way to explain it. In my mind, I'm just like Joe Diffie sings. It's where I go in my imagination when I just want to get away from everything. I, I just imagine myself sitting there, and someday, it's on my bucket list, I just want to go sit in that park and watch McGonagall Cook River flow into that harbor. It does something. It calms me. It gives me peace. It makes me think of home. It makes me think of heaven. This river will do that. It's something else it says about this river in Ezekiel. It says it will provide healing for the nations. The trees in this world don't do that. Let me give you an example. Uh, Luke, we just found out that last year, uh, we had to take him to the emergency room uh, because he was having uh, these asthma attacks. The, he was so clogged up, his air was going into his stomach instead of his lungs. And so... Uh, it took us over a year to find out, but we found out finally that he is uh, allergic to, and here's a word I've never heard of. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. Altenaria. Have you ever heard of it? Altenaria, when I looked it up, <clears throat> he's very allergic to it, according to the, the lab report, comes from uh, the mole spores that grow on dying plants. Every time he's gone sick, really sick, he was playing in dead leaves in the, in the fall. So that will no longer happen in the day coming. Instead of making you sick, this tree in the new kingdom will heal you. Look at verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 9. Zechariah, it says, In that day, living waters, I'm looking at verse 8, will flow out, but then it says verse 9, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name the only one. The Lord will be king of all the earth. The one world government has just begun, and this is what we've finally been waiting for. The king has arrived. There's only going to be not just one king, but there's only going to be one religion. Isaiah chapter 2, that's what he's talking about. All the world is not going to go to different cities to worship different people. That's all going to change. You're not going to have all the different denominations, all the church. You know what? It's going to be easy to know where to go to church back uh, in that day because there's only going to be one. Verse 10. Here's another thing that changes, and this matches up with Isaiah chapter 2 also. Remember what we looked at in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. It says that the hill that the, uh, that the king's city, that Jerusalem will be on, it says it will be what? It will be elevated. It will be raised above all the hills. Look at verse 10. All the land will be changed into a plain from Geba, I don't know if I pronounced that right, Geba, Geba, to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem, listen, 
will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's Cape. And I won't read the rest of it. Look what it says. The land will be changed into a plain. <clears throat> it says it's going to be turned into, and the word is Araba, A-R-A. It's Arab with an A-H H on it, Araba. The word is, refers to the deepest valley in all the world. The deepest valley in the world is in Israel. It says that the sea in this valley, the Sea of Galilee, which is situated within it, is 652 feet below the Mediterranean Sea. Well, the Dead Sea, which is also in this valley, is 1,316 feet below the Red Sea. Now, what he is saying in this verse in Zechariah is that all the, round, all the land around Jerusalem is going to become like this Arabah, like this plain. It's all going to be flattened. It's going to become like this deepest valley on the world. It will be leveled flat. Now, when that happens, what happens to Jerusalem? Jerusalem then is going to become like this. It's going to become like an engagement ring. You know that big rock that you give to impress everybody? Okay, that's what it's going to be like. All, everything around it's going to be flat. So everybody approaching Jerusalem is going to come on this long, deep plain, and Jerusalem is going to be what? You're going to be able to see it because it's going to be raised above everything else. And that is what it's talking about in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, when it says it's going to be raised above the hill. Okay? Now, let me finish here. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, It will come about that any who are left of the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. What was the Feast of Booths in the Old Testament? What was it? The feast celebrates when God tabernacled with Israel on their journey. Okay, Here, God comes down to them in glory and will lead them every day. And they, he is going to require that they celebrate this festival and then the next three verses, he gives the penalty for any nation that will not celebrate that festival in that day. Verse 20, this is the last verse. It says, in that day, there will be scribed to the bells, inscribed on the bells of the horses. Look at this. Holy to the Lord. Where in the Bible was that phrase? There's only one place in the Bible that holy to the Lord was. Where was it? You said it. The high priest on his turban had that inscription. That is the only place that that was inscribed. Holy to the Lord. Okay? He had a gold plate, and on, on that gold plate, on his turban, was the word holiness unto the Lord. That means that what? It means he was in a different category. Now, what is he saying here? What is going to have that inscription on it? <clears throat> and the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the bowls before the altar. <clears throat> Every cooking pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord. Okay, stop right there. <clears throat> that right there, of all the things that we scribe that are going to be different in that day, that one right there makes the biggest impression on me. Everything, and it talks about on the horses' bells and on the cooking pots. What's the point there? Even the most common, mundane things are going to be holy. 
They're going to be different. They're not going to be involved in sin. Now think about this, and I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks. Are you going to be able to live without TV? Everything in that day is going to be holy to the Lord. Listen, the things that are on TV right now are not holy. Uh, your phone, are you going to be able to live without your phone? There's a lot of unholy stuff on that phone, and most people live on that phone today, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. Your world is going to be different. You're not going to have all the influences and all the entertainment and all this stuff. And then I started thinking about that. What are you going to do? Okay? What's your joy and what's your entertainment going to be in that day? Every, everything you do, okay? Uh, it's interesting, too, and this one kind of scared me because this is a weakness for me. Uh, I went on a diet, and after three months, I lost three pounds. And what did I do? I went to Brahms and celebrated. Now, you cannot tell me that that strawberry shortcake sundae weighs three pounds. <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> I said, it does. Next day, I go, you got to be kidding. Come on. So, anyways. But you notice that it says holy, even the cooking pots are going to be holy. <coughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> even what we eat is going to be holy, okay?